Welcome to The Road to Rural Prosperity, featuring stories about rural Oklahoma and rural America. Guiding us on the journey today is our host, Ron Hayes. Well, thank you, Billy, and welcome to yet another edition of The Road to Rural Prosperity. Today, we're pleased to have along with us Casey Shepard, our own Casey Shepard, talking with wheat breeder Dr. Brett Carver, Regents Professor at Oklahoma State University. Talked with Casey about a variety of things, including how our wheat crop handled that incredible cold weather that we had back in February, where we got cold for a while, and then we got even colder, well below zero, across a lot of the hard red winter wheat belt here in the Southern Plains. He talks about how the varieties of today have responded to that very, very cold event. He also is talking a little bit about, uh, with Casey, about the uh, most recent varieties that OSU has released from his program and what may be in the pipeline right now as well. Uh, public uh, breeding programs versus those commercial programs that wheat producers have to consider for the varieties that they buy to put into their fields. He'll talk a little bit about what's going on as far as uh, the future of our wheat breeding program at OSU is as well. We'll get into all of that, Casey and uh, Dr. Carver talking in just a few moments. We're brought to you in part today by the folks from Oklahoma Farm Bureau. And we're back with Casey and Dr. Carver in just a few moments. Oklahoma Farm Bureau has been all around Oklahoma since 1942, and they're proud to serve agriculture in all 77 counties. Oklahoma Farm Bureau is invested into the lives of all who live in rural Oklahoma. In fact, their mission statement is improving the lives of rural Oklahomans. Farm Bureau has a team of legislative professionals serving their members' interests at the state capitol and work nationally with other state farm bureaus in Washington through the American Farm Bureau. Check out their website at okfarmbureau.org where you can learn more about being a part of the Farm Bureau family. The Oklahoma Rural Water Association. They've been representing water and wastewater systems across Oklahoma since 1970. The Oklahoma Rural Water Association was formed to enhance the quality of life in rural Oklahoma through the development and delivery of services and programs for the benefit of ORWA members and the rural people they serve. We're visiting today with OSU Regents Professor Dr. Brett Carver. We've got a lot going on with the wheat industry right now because we had that huge freeze where we had really below temperatures that we haven't seen. And you said, how long has it been? 2011. And what, what happened in 2011? Oh, we got really low at, at nighttime, and, but we were a little bit drier then. Mm -hmm. uh, this, was a, this was a little bit different freeze event. So what does it mean when we get those really, really low temperatures? Do certain varieties handle that better, or is it all just bad news for wheat? For the most part, our winter wheat varieties in Oklahoma, they're going to be adapted mm -hmm. to a minus 15 okay. or whatever you know we, we got down to. I think in Stillwater's minus 15. That was our lowest. But hard red winter wheat, southern plains can handle that, even without a snow cover. Mm -hmm. What happens, though, is are these other conditions that come into play. Mm -hmm. You know, when was the wheat planted and how well was it developed? Um, uh, then, you know, snow cover really can't have an effect. But for the most part, it, especially if our guys were, were had planted early, got a good good plant development, were grazing that wheat, it was hardening off really well. And uh, going into that uh, minus... Uh, 15 minus whatever degree of nights we had, and we, we didn't get above five degrees, you know, during the day. We had a week before that where the wheat had a chance to put the brakes on. Mm -hmm. You know, we were at we were at in the 20s basically, right. night and day for about a week. Yeah. 
Okay, and that is a critical period of growth mm -hmm. for wheat in Oklahoma. That was like the week of the 8th, I believe. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, the wheat at that point, the, the ones that are early, they're, they're going to think, all right, it's time to come out and party. It's mm -hmm. time to break dormancy, hit first all the stem. That week brought everything to a stop. Mm -hmm. Of course, it also brought grazing to a stop. Right. Wheat doesn't grow. You know, it's below 32 degrees, so there was hardly, mm -hmm. you know, there was no grazing benefit there, so we lost that benefit. But, but at least it stopped the crop, mm -hmm. and it slowed it down so that when we hit these really low temperatures at night, it could handle it a little bit better, unless, you know, you had these unique situations where the wheat just was really, you know, not very well developed, not a very good root system, yet needed some help from nature in that case. So it's almost beneficial that we had that, or it really could have looked really bad for this year. Oh, I think it was a blessing in disguise. Yeah. I remember thinking when we had those 20 degrees, okay, this is really, I thought we were kind of on a fast road at that mm -hmm. point, uh, going into that week of the 8th, but then I knew when we had those 20 degree days over and over and over, the brakes were on. So well, now we're kind of behind. Well, and I was going to say, we had a pretty, we had some spring weather, because we didn't really have a harsh winter. So I think it, it fooled not just the wheat plants, but it fooled a lot of plants into thinking, oh, it's springtime, let's do this. Oh yeah, and wheat, all it needs, you know, winter wheat, it needs a couple of uh, determining factors, let's say. It needs, of course, the right temperature, mm -hmm. uh, but it also needs to be vernalized. Well, we had reached that vernalization point. Most varieties have been vernalized, mm -hmm. unless they're really planted late. Um, it also needs a certain day length. Mm -hmm. I think we crossed that point too for many of our varieties that are not so sensitive to that day length. The ones that are super sensitive, I don't think we were at that point. Mm -hmm. So they were holding back the double stops, the LCS chromes. You know, they were saying, you know, this day length is just not right. Mm -hmm. So they were hanging on. Uh, genetics really comes into play <laughs> here a lot. And of course, the environment. And let's not forget the fall, mm -hmm. what we had in the fall, which may have helped or sometimes hurt us right. the way we handle what, what happened in February. Well, let's talk a little bit about genetics. Um, tell me a little bit about the 2020 releases and what you see coming up for the pipeline in 2021. Oh, boy. Uh, 2020 was a really big year. Uh, had almost a half dozen uh, new ones, minus <laughs> one. <laughs> and it was, uh, it was a, everything just kind of came together mm -hmm. where we had a lot of different, literally, pipelines releasing stuff at the same time that, you know, that, uh, the uncharted variety, mm -hmm. it was a very young variety. You know, it had only been in the pipeline for uh, less than 10 years, whereas Strad CL Plus, we're talking about 15, 16, 17 years old. Well, they all kind of hit at the same time. So we had these multiple releases, but I'm really excited about not, not the number, but the versatility Mm -hmm. that this set of varieties provides. I mean, Strad CL Plus is, a, is an improvement on double stop. Mm -hmm. We know that. It's going to be a little bit earlier, too, so growers will need to know that. Um, uh, the Uncharted brings in now resistance to diseases that we've never had before. Mm -hmm. Barley yellow dwarf, number one. We never had that level, really, immunity. Mm -hmm. Great. Immunity to a virus. What timing? Great. Right. We Absolutely. need that. Sure. We need to hear that kind of news. Mm -hmm. So Uncharted was, is new and exciting in, in that respect. And of course, big country being a white beardless, you know, what a combination that is. But still, um, a breakthrough with the Wheat Street Mosaic, another virus, mm -hmm. resistance to another virus that we had not had before, at least not intended. Double Stop has that resistance, but breakthrough. I think uh, is a step above and it's adapted to the panhandle really, really well. So those, those 
that genetics is really going to carry us forward. Mm -hmm. We don't have to have a 2020 and 2021. Right. You know, we can, we can uh, take our time a little bit, really sift through the genetics. So I, what I see right now, um, we've, we've worked on this uh, since about 2011. I mentioned that year a minute ago about the cold. That reminds me, that's when we started working on some really gluten-strong, gluten-strength material. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is... This is beyond the baker's and <clears throat> beyond Butler's gold mm -hmm. uh, in terms of strength. And this is this is almost well uncharted. <laughs> so we're we're going to be in that territory. I think it's really going to help us because uh, in, in this industry, in the in the milling industry, there there is the uh, desire to go buy hardware spring wheat <clears throat> to kind of fix up what we don't have in hardware winter. Mm -hmm. If it's too mellow, fix it up with hardware spring. I don't think we need to go by the hardwood spring mm -hmm. at this point. Okay. We have it now in a hardwood winter. So, and in a Gallagher background, mm -hmm. that's great. We've got the right agronomics. So you might be hearing something about that uh, coming up this summer. I, I can't even tell you the experimental number because we have um, about three mm -hmm. that we're looking at as possibilities. So that would be the, uh, the first thing. The second thing would be a soft red winter wheat. We've never released a soft wheat. Wow. There is some desire for that. Of course, it has to be contracted. It has to be kept out of, in, in a way from the hard wheat. But this would be a higher protein and a higher gluten strength uh, soft wheat. And that's, that's a, a, an emphasis that we have placed in the breeding program. We just haven't had anything commercial to show for it. When you're talking about these varieties, does it really make a difference on what part of the state you're in as a, to going with which varieties you plant, like which producers should pick the variety for their neck of the woods. Oh, absolutely. Um, we, 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 I'd love to be able to say <clears throat> this variety can just go across the state. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it can, but it's probably not the best situation. So we want to optimize where varieties go. Mm -hmm. uh, breakthrough, I just mentioned, is, is not optimized for central Oklahoma. Okay. It will work. Mm -hmm. It will produce. It will make a great test weight and, and functionality, uh, but will it be the leading variety in a variety trial? Probably not in central Oklahoma. Yeah. Take it to the panhandle, yes. And we have just the opposite of that. You know, we have some that will not go in the panhandle, and we, we often talk about it. The soft wheat I just mentioned would never go in the panhandle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about the value of the public breeding programs, because the things you're mentioning right now, this really comes into play uh, to wheat producers, especially um, when you're talking about these breeds and what may work w well for them. Yeah, I mean, we, this, this is a publicly supported wheat breeding program, and uh, every major wheat producing state has, or at least has a land-grant university, mm -hmm. uh, will have a wheat breeding program like this one. Um, and then we have the private sector, and you know, all more power to them. They do a very good job, and, and we interact with the private sector. Um, one one little bit of a difference I see in, in the varieties, uh, not so much in their performance, but in, in the information that we have about the varieties. Uh, even me as a, as a wheat breeder, I don't know as much about the private varieties as I would have known maybe 20 years ago. There was a little bit less uh, revealing of that information. And, you know, uh, if the private companies need to do that to protect their interests, you know, that they have a proprietary interest in that. And, I, and I'm okay with that. But I just don't know as much about the private varieties as I once did. Mm -hmm. And I and if I don't, I, I doubt 
the wheat growers do. Right, right. Well, I know you had the opportunity last week to head down to Lahoma and see the wheat plots. What did you find out? What what looked good and what looked bad? You know, everything looked uh, reasonably well. What I'm seeing as far as uh, any differences in terms of response to the weather that we've had is, um, and I think Dr. Silva mentioned this as well, is the tillering capacity. And you think about what that crop went through, and, and we're talking about something that would have been planted, you know, mid-October uh, at Lahoma, not for grazing. Uh, Mid-October, we had, uh, sometimes after the freeze in October that we had, it would have been planted. But we kind of had a dry fall there and, and pretty tough conditions to grow a wheat plant. So limited fall tillering. And then we go into to the spring when, you know, a lot of our varieties can do some tillering in the spring. We, we count on that. But when did they do it? They would do it in the middle of February. Well, what did we have then? <laughs> we had a big freeze. And so now we had that potential with a lid on it. So what I'm seeing is some very wide differences in the tillering that would have happened in both in the fall and in the spring. I'm a little bit um, surprised at, at, okay, one that really stuck out to me was OK Corral. Just didn't seem to be phased one bit if it was planted in October. December, that's a different deal. Uh, you know, that's, that's, that's a different territory. Uh, I'm seeing uh, Gallagher actually look better uh, this time of the year than Smith's Gold, when normally it would not. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's see what Smith's Gold can do uh, as it, you know, it's off to the races as we, you know, catch up to the calendar. So uh, the, I say it every year, and I get tired of saying it. I'm sure that our listeners get tired <laughs> of hearing it, but every year is different. And this is going to leave, leave another imprint on the breeding program. Yeah. We need it. Absolutely. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll put it in our long-term memory and we'll use it as we breed going forward. What are some of the biggest differences that you've noticed, like in your greenhouse wheats that you've had growing versus like the Lahoma wheat plots? Oh, the, uh, the greenhouse. Um, you know, in, in a greenhouse situation, we are growing plants to kind of beat the calendar. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, we're trying to finish a greenhouse crop uh, by early May. Yeah. That's well ahead of the, the, the field crop. And so we had some, we had some bad luck uh, with our greenhouse crop uh, because we had plants that, were, that looked like they were in April uh, back in February when we had the freeze. Mm -hmm. And when you don't have a greenhouse that can keep up with that kind of temperature, those plants are going to um, uh, uh, become injured just like they would if not die, mm -hmm. uh, as they would if they got a, a really bad freeze in April in the field. So that, that was a really, uh, that was a shocker yeah. to me. It was a shock to the program. Well, what are you most excited about going forward? As we, you know, we've gotten out of 2020. Now we, you, you mentioned we're not having as many varieties this year, but what are you kind of excited and looking forward to? Well, um, I'm looking at, always will. You know, we, we've got to keep the yield curve moving up, you know, no doubt about it. But at the same time, we have to keep quality, first and foremost, up front. Front and center, in fact. Never give quality a backseat to the yield. So I think we, we continue to do that. We're doing fine. But I, I'm, I'm taking this opportunity as we have some good yield and good quality in our genetics. Let's look at some other uh, traits that might be of interest, not just to the producer, but uh, to consumers. Uh, one exciting project that uh, we've recently highlighted and, and kind of gone public with is, the, uh, is, is searching for a higher antioxidant capacity in our in the wheat kernel mm -hmm. you know there is some antioxidant ability in in natural wheat but you can change some of that antioxidant capacity just by changing the color of the wheat yep instead of having a white wheat 
Uh, a red wheat has a little bit more antioxidant capacity. Perhaps that's not, you know, not written in stone, just, or that's in stone just yet. But now we have purple wheats. And we've always had purple wheats, but uh, we had the, the capacity now to measure and evaluate these, these kinds of traits that we didn't have before. And so uh, that, this, that's one area that we're going to, uh, we already have. And we're, we're to the point now we have experimental lines that are in the advanced stages, uh, releasable uh, in two to three years with the, the higher antioxidant capacity. Well, Dr. Carver, thank you so much for visiting with the States. Always exciting to talk to you about wheat because you're passionate about it, and we love hearing it. Oh, I love to be on the show. Thank you so much. Regents professor at Oklahoma State University, wheat breeder Dr. Brett Carver, one of the preeminent wheat breeders not just in North America but globally. Dr. Carver, thank you for your time today. And for Casey Shepard, I'm Ron Hayes. We're on the road to rural prosperity. We'll see you real soon. Thanks for joining us for today's Road to Rural Prosperity podcast. You can join the conversation about how rural Oklahoma can prosper by looking for us on Facebook. And you can find our growing number of conversations on our website, ruralprosperityok.com. The Road to Rural Prosperity podcast series is a production of the Radio Oklahoma Ag Network and OklahomaFarmReport.com proud to be a part of the family of the funk companies. <laughs>